Not enough Skype credit is what I'm getting. <laughs> I guess I gotta. You don't have your subscription anymore. Apparently, I guess you have to renew it because I never renewed it or anything. I thought it was just like a. No, no, it's automatic. Yeah, because I remember I did that the one time the first time we had it on. Yeah, don't lie to him. I know you couldn't afford two ninety nine a month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to sacrifice a comic. Yeah. <laughs> this call brought to you by Catwoman. Calls off across to be on. <laughs> Call brought to you by Catwoman. It's another Bad Fans Podcast. This is the first, the, the very first 30th episode of um, the Bad Fans Podcast. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's the very first one. Uh, my name is Dane, and I have with me Tim. Tim, how's it How's it going? It's going good. It's good to be on the first and last 30th episode of the Bad Fans Podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, will it be the last if... Well, if this episode goes good, we'll if, do a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do a sequel. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Episode and 30, then, part two. Yeah. And, and then, like, uh, 18 years later, we'll do a um, a prequel to, <laughs> to episode 30. Um, but we also have Terrence with us. Terrence, tell the good people hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? I, I can't believe we're up to episode 30. Uh, and I started with you guys. You guys are just teenagers, and now you guys are middle-aged, so... But uh, I'm glad I'm not the only thing in my third. I'm, I'm not the only thing in their thirties on this podcast anymore. So, um, but uh, yeah, I got. Uh, it was a good day. I got my Man of Steel tickets uh, this morning at Walmart. It was funny because my wife is really excited about going to see it. So she's like, "You got to get there early. They go on sale at 8 a.m." She's like, "You got to be there at six. Got to get in line." So the alarm went off at, at six. I hit the snooze. I hit the. I finally got out of bed at like seven. 30, got there at 7.45, and there was only one other person in line for tickets. <laughs> and I felt bad because, like, the Walmart employees were all dressed like Superman. They had the Superman shirts. They they had, like, Superman donuts. They had all these, like, signs like and, like, barriers up, like, anticipating these huge lines, and it was just me and this other guy. And then um, oh, I was online. There were two. They even had it divided for the 2D and the 3D. So I was in line for the 2D, first in line. He was in line uh, for 3D. Then two other guys ended up coming up. And so uh, I ended up getting four tickets for 2D. And they're tickets one, two, three, and 4, so I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, and But I felt bad for the other guy uh, who was getting the 3D because he only bought one ticket. And I was like, just one? I mean, you know, you, you think you can't find a friend in a month and a half before it comes out or something. But, <laughs> you know, come on, have some optimism here. But uh, it doesn't matter. I'm sure they'll sell uh, uh, eventually and uh, looking forward to seeing the movie. So uh, and uh, hopefully we'll um, maybe see Batman and Superman eventually in a movie. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and we also have Cross with us. Cross, welcome back to the show. It's been too long. It's been like Almost a year now since we've had since we've talked to you in general. No, that's awesome. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Um, well, I mean, uh, Terrence comes out of the gates with like this really cool story. I, I'm a little intimidated now. Uh, 
Uh, good to talk to you guys again. It's always fun to, to be on the show and, and talk about Batman. It has been too long. Uh, Terrence, good to meet you. It's, it's a new one. Uh, and Dane's always good to talk to you guys. So uh, thanks for having me back on. A lot of fun stuff happening. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of fun stuff, Tim has a fun topic, which I can't really comment on because I'm not interested in the Justice League <laughs> movie. But, but Tim, why don't you tell the good people about, about uh, your topic? Yeah, I guess it'll be a fun topic for everyone but Dane. <laughs> yeah, so uh, two weeks ago, of course, Iron Man 3 came out, and me and Terrence saw it. And after we saw it, we kind of talked to each other about it, what we thought. And then Terrence brought up a point that kind of maybe would be a good discussion to have, where having it be in a post-Avengers movie and there was things going on that linked to the Avengers movie kind of got me thinking, what kind of different ways have, if they ever eventually get to a Justice League movie and it's going to tie into whatever Batman solo movies that have, what kind of effect would Justice League movie have on the solo Batman films, whether negatively or positively? So uh, with that, I know, Terrence, uh, you kind of have a different opinion as far as me, as far as with Iron Man 3, saying that you think having to be stuff tied into the Avengers had a negative effect on the film for you. So just kind of want to hear more of your thoughts on that and how you think that might be a negative effect on a solo Batman film if they ever do do a Justice League movie. Yeah, you know, the first Iron Man movie I love. That That's, uh, you know, probably one of my top ten movies, you know, definitely top ten, like, action-adventure movies. I love the first Iron Man movie. And then, you know, the second movie I enjoyed, I liked it, but I, I thought it was hurt, and a lot of other people have made this point, too, that a lot of the Avengers stuff, trying to tie in with S.H.I.E.L.D. and tie into the Avengers, kind of hurt the story arc of Iron Man 2. It was kind of the arc of him trying to... um reconnect or find his father who had passed away, you know, and, and find some kind of like um, emotional balance with who his father was and who he is and bringing in Samuel Jackson and the Black Widow and, and a lot of the Avengers stuff, you know, although it worked great financially to promote the Avengers kind of hurt that story a bit. And then seeing the Avengers, which I enjoyed as well. I thought that movie was awesome. And then Iron Man 3, which I enjoyed. I, I, I thought it was a really good movie, but I just thought it was hurt by the fact that we had seen Iron Man with all these superpower heroes. So when some things went, went wrong in Iron Man 3 and the president gets kidnapped and those kinds of things, a lot of me was thinking, you know, call the Hulk, call Captain America. You know, where's Thor to help you out? Where's S.H.I.E.L.D.? How come S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not on this? And, and there really was sort of a lack of... Um, Avenger presence in Iron Man 3. There were some, some flashbacks to it, and he had some anxiety issues about some of the events in the Avengers, but they really kind of, it was kind of its own movie. And so I, I even though I've enjoyed the movies and they've been good, I, I do feel they've been kind of hurt by that. And Batman being probably the only member of the Justice League, if they make a Justice League movie, being the only member not to have superpowers and not have superhuman strength and ability, you know, I was wondering... If they did make the, the Justice League movie and they did have Batman in there, would that hurt him in his solo movies if it was the same actor, the same character, the same universe? You know, would we be watching, you know, like say, you know, Batman Begins or, or The Dark Knight and just thinking, well, why doesn't he call Superman to find out where the Joker is? Why does he need all these cell phones? Or, you know, why doesn't The Flash just, you know, dismantle those bombs? I, you know, I was wondering if it kind of would have hurt um, Batman's universe as well. Um, so that's, that's what I was thinking. And it made me kind of glad that Nolan's universe was kind of separate and they did not make that Justice League movie in between Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, like was rumored. And that Nolan was probably, even though a lot of people gave him grief at the time, uh, probably right to squash that project and, um, 
just keep his universe self-contained. Yeah, I can't kind of see where you're coming with that, but I I have a kind of opposite view on it. But um, before I get my cross, what do you think on the whole topic of Batman in the Justice League movie? Do you think that would hurt his solo films, or do you think it'll like make help it more, just have like a different tone from what we're used to with the Nolan movies? What's your old take on the subject? You know what? I, I've been kind of back and forth on this one, and, and this is something I've brought up before on, on your show, I know, and, and I've talked about it on my own podcast. You know, the, the whole notion of, of how Batman fits in with the Justice League, and, and you know, and Terrence, I've kind of had a very similar opinion to to you. You know, it's it's always a little bit strange when you're reading a a Justice League comic book, and then you've got to try and put Batman in there somewhere, and he's usually kind of like hiding out in the shadowy corner, and it's it's just a little weird. Um, that said, um, it, when I look at the movie franchise and the, what Warner Brothers is doing with uh, at least what they did with Batman and the Dark Knight trilogy, and now seemingly what they're doing with um, the Man of Steel, where it, re- it feels very uh, real world. It feels you know you know grittier. It's darker, um, and, and not something that you would typically see from from a Superman story. Whereas I think Marvel is really kind of um, owning that um, that pop comic book look, if you will. Where, where characters like uh, Thor and Captain America and Hulk, where they don't feel out of place, they don't feel strange, um, which is which is a you know different difficult thing for you know to pull off. Um, and I think there was a lot of people who were skeptical of whether that would work or not. And, you know, characters like Thor and and Captain America, how it would play. But I think they've been um, really successful. I mean, the kind of the proof is in the in the pudding in the box office uh, you know receipts. But um, you know, it almost looks like. Warner Brothers wants to own that that grim and gritty look, and I think if they if they can take what they've established in the Dark Knight trilogy and carry that into Man of Steel, you know, now that I've seen the trailers for the Man of Steel, I could buy that there is a Batman that lives in that world. It doesn't feel like Metropolis is a different place um, than what I than than the than the Gotham City that I saw. It feels like it's all kind of in the same world uh, tonally. So I'm kind of coming around on the idea of of Batman working in a Justice League film if Warner Brothers maintains that that tone um, for their their superhero franchise. Um, So I mean, I'm excited about it. I I don't think it'll I don't think it'll hurt the Batman solo films. I I don't I I guess having being a longtime comic book reader, uh, I've I've just gotten used to the idea of. When I'm reading an Iron Man comic book, this is an Iron Man story. And he may acknowledge other characters, you know, living in his world, but I'm reading an Iron Man story. When I pick up an Avengers comic book, I expect to see all the characters, and I expect to see them all interacting. So I think, um, and I, I think they've really kind of taken that approach with their, with their films, where you go, hey, even though we are now post-Avengers, um, you know, Thor is often Asgard, and Banner is you know, hanging out with Stark, which we saw in Iron Man 3, spoiler alert. And uh, and Captain America, you know, I guess we'll find out what, what he's doing. But when I watch an Iron Man movie, I expect it to be an Iron Man movie and, and to not just, you know, phone in his buttons. Uh, logistically, <laughs> from the creative side, that would be probably impossible to do anyway. Uh, but I think... Um, I, I guess I kind of just buy into the idea that, hey, I'm watching an Iron Man movie. Iron Man's going to handle this situation 
and then we when we get back around to Avengers two, we'll we'll reconvene. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same mindset of that. My whole thing is that, yeah, I don't really think having Batman in a Justice League movie would have hurt his solo films. Where kind of what you're saying, Terrence, where if he's doing like going up like, up against the villain, then you're just thinking, oh, why won't he call Superman or call Green Lantern or something like that? Kind of what you're saying, Cross. You just kind of kind of have to accept that this is the solo Batman film, and maybe just think of some other thing in your head while you're watching it. Well, maybe Superman's off doing taking care of another uh, crisis that he has to deal with or Green Lantern's off-world or something like that. This not really yeah. doesn't play into it. Like, like you said, I kind of have uh, kind of prepared ourselves for this already by reading comics where you have Justice League and you got the solo Batman comics. When I'm reading uh, like Snyder's stuff, I don't necessarily think, well, why doesn't Batman like, call help against the Court of Owls or doing the Joker? Why doesn't he have Superman come help and search him? search for him and all that. You know, thought never really pops to my head. And I think with the movies, I can do the same thing, where if there's something that makes you think that, and since we have this, like, past experience with reading comics, it'll help kind of, for me anyway, not necessarily have that as a negative to where Batman can just call on different members of the Justice League to come help him out. I can separate the two. And, if, I mean, if you really need a reason why they're not there, it's, I mean, it could be pretty simple to explain why the other heroes won't be there. I mean, they could, like I said, just be off taking care of some other crisis or crime or something like that. So I don't, for me, anyway, I don't think it'll necessarily hurt it. I actually think it'll be a positive for it, because I'm one of those fans who like the little Easter eggs that are planted in there. And for Iron Man 3, I think some of the best parts of it, for me, anyway, was the uh, talk back about the Avengers, where that helped, that played a big part in uh, Tony Stark's character in Iron Man 3, where he's having this... Uh, post-traumatic stress and the high anxiety attacks because of what happened in the Avengers. I like that aspect of how it affected him later on. And, you, and it does make sense where something like that for a normal human being would have a pretty dramatic effect on him in his personal life. Yeah. And you can you can compare, I mean, you can make the argument that you could compare Tony Stark to Bruce Wayne, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they are the real people. They, they don't hurt, you know, in quotes, real people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're human beings. They don't have superpowers. They... They're using their ingenuity to to make them, you know, above what a normal human is capable of doing. And and with Tony Stark, you know, you, you go back to that that scene with with Nick Fury showing up in his house, saying, "Hey, you're just part of a larger universe." And now that you know we're post Avengers, he now knows that he's in a larger universe. I mean, he's seen, you know, giant grim rage monsters and as guardian gods, and and he's really kind of going crazy. Yeah. Really, and, you know, in, in Iron Man 3, where now he has to try and create a suit of armor to, per, to prepare himself for any possible uh, situation. And he's, you know, and he's uh, you know, literally uh, killing himself over this. Um, and so you think about, um, you know, a Justice League movie, and you go, hey, that's going to be a movie that's going to be a, uh, I would imagine, some larger-than-life threat that requires all of these characters to band together, which is what Avengers was, right? But when you get into the to, into the Batman solo stories, this is going to be our opportunity to to focus on Batman and focus on what's happening in Gotham and what's happening in, in, in you know in Wayne Manor and in the Batcave. Things that you probably wouldn't get in a Justice League movie, which I think is awesome. You know, whether it'll be interesting to see what happens with Batman if it ends up being a, a reboot or if it ends up being a continuation of the of the Nolan story. Um, I think either way would be interesting. I think if you, if you continue the Nolan story, that's where I would get, you know, be really interesting to see where they go. You know, is, is 
you know, is John uh, John Blake, is he already Batman? You know, Bruce Wayne's still out there somewhere. Um, so I think that would be a very interesting thing to see how, you know, could we get up to a place where Bruce Wayne needs to come back to become Batman again and ends up being our Christian Bale Batman in Justice I mean, I would really love to see that happen. That's just me. Yeah, same here. I mean, when I see the Man of Steel trailers, I mean, because it looks so awesome. And like you said, Cross, you can, it does look like it can be in the same world as Nolan's Batman movies. And it's, I just think the ultimate thing with this happening, Christian Bale return as Batman with Henry Cavill's Superman and Justice League movie would just be <laughs> the best thing That'd ever. be awesome. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, but at the same time, too, it would be interesting, like you said, that they're continuing on with Nolan's story, how they're going to tie everything into The Dark Knight Rises. So, like, as much as I would want to see Christian Bale back as Batman, I think it would be easier kind of to refresh, like, just to redo the whole Batman movie series as, like, a new storyline. But I'm kind of torn because I always want to see Christian Bale back because it looks like it'll fit all perfectly with the Man of Steel universe. And, and if you want, you know, I, I always pay close attention to kind of little things that writers and executives say when they're talking about their movies because they usually have they're laced with double meaning. But you, you, you listen to, to some of the things that David Goyer has said when talking about the Man of Steel. And that, you know, when we said, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing him, but that, that when, when the Dark Knight trilogy was taking place, it was in its own, it was in its own universe, right? And there were no other heroes. And then we get to the Man of Steel, and you go, hey, if that's chapter four in this DC superhero saga, well, then that, that's not inaccurate, you know, what he said. That, you know, it's it's a little bit backwards, you know, from how we were presented the characters in the comic books where we tend to think of Superman coming first and then Batman. But, hey, if, you know, whatever. If, if this is a, a world where Batman was first and he was the only one of his kind in, you know, in, uh, you know, in the DC, you know, in the DC cinematic universe. Yeah, it worked in the Superman. animated series. <laughs> he was first in that right. DC animated universe. There you go. And then, and Superman comes along. You go, well, that's that's not a lie. That's not inaccurate. And now, now Batman will become part of a larger thing if that's the way they go. Yeah, and kind of going back to what you were saying to the Iron Man three comparison, where how the Avengers had such a effect on his life, and then. If they are going to go that route, like if they do Justice League first and then we get the rebooted Batman series, I think it can play in a positive way as far as the stories of that one where if there's someone where, like like we were talking about earlier, where why doesn't he call Superman or these other heroes, it could be a story point where Batman doesn't want to rely on them all the time. And kind of like in the Justice League animated series where he's a part-timer, where he's not really involved with them, only in like the super emergencies or they call him, it can be something where he distances himself from them, and that could be the reason why, oh, that's why he doesn't rely on Superman and the other superheroes to come for him. And so I think it would be cool, too, if that kind of inspires him. If there's, like, a big, great alien threat, like Darkseid comes or something, we can maybe kind of see him progression, kind of in a similar way with Iron Man, but I think it would be awesome to maybe have him develop, like, the Batman Beyond suit or something, and we get to see that in film. So I have him, like, be up there with the Justice League members. But I don't know. I think it could have some more positive effects on story-wise or character-wise in this movie is a negative, but I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but one thing I wanted to ask you, Terrence, is something, did you want to see, like, these little Easter eggs, kind of like the Marvel Universe movies did, where it kind of lets you know about certain characters that are going to show up? Do you want to see that, like, starting with Man of Steel and going forward and all the other DC movies, hopefully, if they ever get made, <laughs> to tie them all in? 
Yeah, you know, I like those. I, I hope so. I was surprised there really wasn't any in Green Lantern uh, or any that I really picked up on. Um, even there wasn't. <laughs> yeah, even they had plans, still, though. yeah in um, Batman Forever, there's one scene when uh, you know Dick Grayson first comes to the mansion. And, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne, uh, Val Kilmer says, like, oh, well, the circus is probably halfway to Metropolis by now. I mean, even though I, I was like, yeah, yeah, it just it was so cool just to yeah. hear him say Metropolis instead of Detroit or Chicago or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely hoping for a little bit of that in uh, Man of Steel as, as, a, as a, a hint. Um, and so I do like that. And I think just real quick to, to go on what you guys said, I think some of my issue with Iron Man 3 having this stuff was the um and, and her, feeling it hurt Iron Man three was because there was just so much of it in Iron Man two. Like I kind of imagine that if Batman has his solo movies, um, it's not going to be like Iron Man two where half the movie uh, is a commercial for the for the next Justice League movie. Uh, and also the and not spoiler alert here if anybody hasn't seen Iron Man three. Dane, close your ears. Uh, the uh, you know the, the 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 things he was up against were huge. Like you know he was up against a terrorist or supposedly a terrorist who um, was like on the level of Osama bin Laden and he knew where he was, but he had, didn't have his Iron Man suit. So instead of calling for help or instead of calling in the Avengers, he goes to Home Depot and, and creates some, you know, gadgets and the president is kidnapped. And you just think with well, the president's kidnapped, where's shield and all this. So I imagine Batman would have a much less uh, bigger dilemma as far as like national security or, presidents being kidnapped it would be a lot more like what we saw in the dark night with you know the joker threatening to blow up a hospital or something like that where i might not just sit there and go where's where's the flash where's the justice league um but so uh but i i'd imagine that batman would hopefully do it just a, a lot more of a batman kind of style than the iron man style um but back to your original question yeah i i like the easter eggs and i'm hoping that they will the only thing is like in in the x-men movies I felt they went a little too far with the Easter eggs because then the Easter eggs kind of started contradicting and characters were different people and you had like 17 different Kitty Prides in it and stuff. <laughs> so they got to be just a little careful, you know. I uh, but other than that, yeah, I'm hoping for some cool Easter eggs. Here's a question: If let's say they made a Justice League movie before Dark Knight Rises, when you saw Dark Knight Rises, the whole end sequence with the bomb and Bane and everything taking over Gotham. Would you guys have thought to yourself the question we've been asking, like, like, wouldn't Superman come and help take care of this? Or would you just be so engrossed in the movie that that wouldn't even be a, a big deal to you or that you're thinking that? Because, like you're saying, Terrence, these big things that are happening in Iron Man 3, like with S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that, I can see what you're saying there when it's government stuff. But in Dark Knight Rises, it was like almost a disaster, like a disaster for what was going on in Gotham. And Superman usually takes care of disasters situations. Was that would that have an effect on the movie for you guys negatively? Negatively, if there was a Justice League movie before Dark Knight Rises, uh, that I I would not be into that. <laughs> uh, that I mean, to me, that's that's okay. Look, if, if it let's let's be real nerdy here for a second. If this were real, right? If this were really happening, if there was really a Batman and really a Gotham City and really a Superman, but if, it, if the second you introduce Superman. There's almost no need for Batman, really, ever, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he I can, Superman, Superman can do everything. He can fly at the speed of light or whatever. He has heat vision. He has super strength. Provided nobody has a chunk of kryptonite, you can't beat him. So 
somebody like a Joker or a Bane or a Catwoman or a Mr. Freeze, they are completely irrelevant when you have a Superman. That That's like, if, if I'm talking within their mythology, Bane doesn't stand a chance. I don't care how strong he is. He doesn't stand a chance against Superman. He's a, a Kryptonian with super strength and all these powers. So you, at some point, you've got to just live in the fiction and go, look, it's it's a Gotham City story. It's Batman, and I, I want to see how Batman solves the problems using Batman ingenuity and and his own his own brain and and his and his gadgets and and solving things the way Batman solves things. If he can just phone in Superman, then it's time to hang up your cowl and and just sit in Wayne Manor and and have Superman on speed dial. Because, I mean, really. Yeah. That's one thing, too, I'm kind of hoping that if they do do this whole shared universe thing with DC that they're doing with Marvel, I just hope they don't have to feel like they have to explain every certain thing of why this character isn't here or why this character is here. I just hope they kind of trust the audience enough to know that they can separate each film differently. But then when they have to team up, they have to team up. I just hope they don't have to where, get too over-explanatory where they have to say, well, this is why this character can't be here, such and such, and all that stuff. I just hope they kind of give us enough credit to just make sure that we can separate the heroes from each other in their separate movies. And, and you know what? I, I hear what Terrence is saying, you know, and I, I totally get that. And I think I – think we'll, and Terrence, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think where you're having to hang up is they already introduced the notion of being able to, of working with Shield in Iron Man 2. So right. Iron Man works and and, and with, with Nick Fury and Black Widow, and those characters are already a part of their world in in his solo story. So now if we're in a another solo Iron Man story and we're talking about a global threat that is affecting the President of the United States, it seems like S.H.I.E.L.D. would have something to say about that. Am I correct, Terrence? Correct, yeah, yeah. And I totally get where you're coming from on that. I, I think, I guess, I guess I just, I go back to my comic mentality where I go, hey, it's an Iron Man story, and Iron Man's going to figure out how to resolve this, uh, this situation without having to phone in his buddies. Um, but, but I, but I totally get where you're coming from on that, and, and I'm, I'm kind of with you, Tim. You know, I, I I would just hope that that DC will kind of follow suit in that once they do get around to doing the Justice League movie, it isn't a situation now where I've got to explain every time every time Batman's fighting without Superman because then it's then it's like I said going back to what I was saying before it's it's kind of ridiculous. Once Batman has superpowered buddies, does he do you need a Batman anymore? Yeah, like I said too, when we're reading. Batman comics, that thought never really pops into my head. Maybe on occasion you would think if it's like a really tough opponent, but very rarely do I think to myself, well, why does Batman just call Superman a Green Lantern? So, yeah, like I said, if I can do that for the comics, I think I can do that for the movies. Well, but, and you know, oh, sorry. Go I'm sorry, I'm just going to say, there's, I will admit that when I watched, while watching Iron Man 3, when there was the whole thing with the Mandarin as a terrorist, I did think to myself, wouldn't that be something... Uh, Captain America would take care of just because he is gonna looks like that gonna be the government agent and working with Shield and all that. That did pop into my head a bit, but I just then like I said, I just thought to myself, uh, it'll probably be explained in the Winter Soldier movie or he's off doing his own thing. But for a second, I did think this seems like more something that Captain America will deal with. But 
it didn't really linger on while I watched the movie for too long. And this is always the problem when you introduce a a, a higher level hero, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, we're gonna when we get around to okay, now we watch Man of Steel. At no, at no point would you go, hey, why didn't we just call in Batman for this? Yeah. Like, like we'll never ask ourselves that because Superman's a more powerful being. So I think it's, I think you just got to kind of lose yourself. And I go, you know, with Iron Man 3 where the threat is, is a terrorist threat and it's the Ten Rings and it's the Mandarin, I just go, hey, that's, the Mandarin's an Iron Man villain and I just accept the fact that it's an Iron Man story. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, like, uh, when I read Batman comics, and I, I don't think, why doesn't he call Superman? Because I, I think, you know, that's Batman's personality. He's stubborn, and he's prideful, and he's going to do it himself. He's not going to ask for help or call for help. And so, you know, it just seemed like, in Iron Man, they never addressed it. Like, I, I, I even if they just had a 30-second scene where Tony Stark was like, I got to do this myself, like, you know, I got to prove it to myself, or it just showed him being a little too arrogant or cocky, which they've shown him a lot in that. Um, I could have maybe bought it a little, a little bit more, and it didn't ruin the movie for me. I didn't come out hating it because of this. It was just sort of a, you know, one of the many thoughts I had on the movie, and thought maybe it was a discussion we could have on the podcast. Um, and back to your original question, Tim, with um, about uh, the whole Dark Knight Rises with the bomb and everything at the end. Uh, I think I might, if they had done a Justice League and they had, you know, Batman and the Justice League uh, had been a big part of the Dark Knight, like it was in Iron Man 2, I might have. But all I think they all they would have had to do was just, you know, make Bane say, you know, if I catch any superheroes, I'm detonating this bomb. Or if I, you know, just, just a little something to, you know, just, just explain it away or something. Or, you know, I, Batman said, this is something I got to do myself now or you know um so i think i think the my 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 big problem with it why it kind of festered was that it wasn't addressed it was just like oh you know the mandarin who was supposedly the the worst terrorist and osama bin laden type uh iron man's got his whereabouts but he doesn't call for help he doesn't call the police doesn't call the fbi doesn't call the avengers just kind of makes a trip to home depot and then goes after him himself so i guess maybe that was um a little more, it wasn't addressed as to maybe his motivation for doing it himself um, wasn't really addressed. And I guess maybe you could have inferred that he wanted to do it his own, but then he's getting help from other people. So it's it's kind of, uh, you know, but then maybe I just need to, you know, get over it and watch the movie. But, you know, <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, I wasn't expecting the Avengers to pop up. I wasn't expecting Captain America to, to come in. It's just one of the thoughts as I'm watching it of like, well, why wouldn't they call for Captain America here or something, you know, so. But it did show, though, that when Tony Stark's down and he just needs to vent and let it out, he does call the Hulk to be the yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. But um, kind of changing the topic just a little bit from the whole Justice thing. I know this is when Iron Man 3 came out. It's been getting a lot of discussion, but I just wanted to see if you guys picked on it, too, while you were watching it, but. It's been being compared a lot to the Dark Knight Rises and just a lot Iron Man to the Dark Knight trilogy in general. I mean, when I was watching the movie, I just certain things harken back to what Nolan did in the movies. Uh, did you guys get that feeling a lot too when you were watching it? Yeah, I did, especially the first Iron Man, and I've heard other podcasts talk about this too. The first Iron Man feels a lot like Batman Begins. I mean, from the cave, the whole arc of the story, everything, and I, I definitely felt like uh, overall. They've definitely taken a page out of uh, Nolan's playbook 
uh, for the Iron Man trilogy, but it's a smart thing to do because the trilogy was so successful on, uh, you know, financially and, uh, you know, creatively. So, yeah, I felt that way, but I, I also felt that was a smart thing to do because it's a, a formula that works and it, and, you know, and if you look at the box office and the fan response, it, it's worked in both counts. Yeah, I, I have to say for like at least Iron Man 1 and 2, I never really got that impression. But then, like you said, Terrence, hearing a few other podcasts and reading different Internet sites where people were drawing the comparison, it's like, yeah, you can definitely see it. But with Iron Man 3, I got a, just by watching it, it just reminded me a lot of certain things from The Dark Knight Rises and even some Batman Begins things. Because this even how it starts, Tony Stark is in a different place where, kind of like how Bruce is in The Dark Knight Rises, he had a traumatic thing happen to him. And while he technically is still Iron Man, he's not really the same. He is almost, in a way, a recluse, just building new suits after new suits. Kind of how Bruce, Batman was a recluse and not being Batman anymore for what happened at the end of The Dark Knight. Then the big thing is the big comparison why they had the whole twist with the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. It was kind of similar to what they did with Ray Shalgul and Batman Begins where having the fake Mandarin be looks like it's going to be the main threat, but then the other character ends up being the real one. I thought it was handled a lot better in uh, Batman Begins. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's the, one, the few things that I just noticed right away while watching the movie. Yeah, you can tell they're definitely taking <laughs> stuff from Nolan's movies. How about you, Cross? Did you get any callbacks to that? You know, I'm not trying to just be the opposite opinion. I I don't know. I just never, I've never really gotten that. I, I, you know, I I hear what you guys are saying, and I guess when I think about it, yeah, I guess there were some, some similarities, um, I guess, between, you know, uh, I guess the story arc of The Dark Knight Rises and the story arc of Iron Man 3. Um, I don't know. I guess I just feel like they're so different. At least, especially Iron Man one and two, I never never got that at all. I just, they're so different tonally from um, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. You know, um, you know the first two Nolan films are so so dark and so somber and, uh, and 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 quintessential Batman. I mean, they were such amazing films, both of them. And, and I and I like The Dark Knight Rises too. And I think I, I hit the level of the first two, but uh, but. Um, I think Iron Man three. What was what was interesting about that was was taking everything that had happened in Iron Man one and two, and and Avengers, and and I've heard Kevin Feige say this from Marvel Studios, you know, in, in interviews, where they wanted to get Tony Stark back into the proverbial cave, back to a point where he needed to you rely on his ingenuity and and his his smarts. To, uh, to survive and get him out of a situation without being able to rely on his, on his suits of armor. And I think they were really successful in doing that. Um, you know, having the, you know, the Mark 42 being completely powered down and he had to go to the Home Depot and work with the kid and the whole bit, you know, it was, you know, there's actually very little of him in the Iron Man suit in Iron Man 3, which is interesting. Um, and I thought it was a very, uh, interesting approach. To, to try that, and, um, and I think it worked, and I think, um, I guess, so now that I say that, when I think about The Dark Knight Rises, there's very little of Bruce Wayne in the Batman suit in The Dark Knight Rises, um, where we got used to him, there's very little of him in the in the Batman suit in Batman Begins, you know, the first hour of the movie is Bruce Wayne, and then he becomes Batman for like the last, you know, uh, for half hour, 45 minutes, and then... You know, The Dark Knight is where you really got the most complete Batman story, 
And then The Dark Knight Rises was more about him coming back, and it was focusing on Bruce Wayne again. Um, so I guess in that sense, the Iron Man trilogy does mirror a little bit the, the Dark Knight trilogy in that it's, you know, a little bit of Iron Man in the first movie, a more complete Iron Man story in the second one, and a little bit of Iron Man in the third. So I guess I'm contradicting myself, but I, I guess I see those parallels, but they're just so different tonally to me that I don't I don't draw those comparisons directly. Yeah, and I think that shows that how just how such good movies they are, where you don't necessarily see those similarities when you're watching it. At least the first two for me, for the third one, I kind of picked them up right away, but then when you do pick up on it or you read something that shows the parallels, you realize that, but at the same time, I don't think, oh, that, it lessens my opinion of the movies. I don't think, oh, so they're just taking it from Batman Begins or The Dark Knight. I don't like these movies as much as I used to. Instead, I think it's, they did a good job where showing that they're taking what the Nolan trilogy did so right, and then they're using that to make their own movies good, but yet still being in a different way. So I think they did a good job of kind of showing taking what Nolan did in his movies and just applying that to their own movies and, like, not as good as the Batman movies, but just good, solid superhero movies in general. So, yeah. What I think is what I think is great, um, it just as, as a comic book fan and a superhero fan and as a Batman fan, to be in this place where we are right now, where, you know, whether people are being inspired by Nolan or what Favreau did with Iron Man or what Marvel's doing with their characters or or now what Snyder's doing with Man of Steel, all these top-notch creators are taking the subject matter and treating it as seriously and as reverently as we uh, as we as fans have been for so long. Where you're like, these are the stories I kind of see in my mind's eye when I think of a Batman story or an Iron Man story or a Captain America story or whatever, where it's it's not a joke, it's not over the top, uh, pop, uh, colors and craziness. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. It's, it, it's more, it's, it's, it's something that's happening in, in a, in our real world, which I think is, is awesome and exciting. And, you know, I, I, I hate when people talk about, oh, you know, another superhero movie. It's, you know, is this genre dying? And I, I, I think it couldn't be more alive right now. You look yeah. at the, the slate of films that Marvel has coming out for the next few years. And, you know, I think I would imagine Warner Brothers and DC has a lot riding on Man of Steel to see what they're going to do uh, with their film slate. Um, this is awesome. And we're getting great stuff as fans. I mean, this is, this is you know, whoever's being inspired by who, uh, I hope they continue to be inspired because this is all awesome. It's all, it's all fun. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I've heard the same before, but we're in the golden age of superhero movies <laughs> right now. You really can't ask for much more except for DC to get their act together and put out their superhero movies. Then we'll truly be in, like, a utopia of superhero movies. And kind of what you're saying, like, even things like before Iron Man 3 came out, Kevin Feige even said that he, like, he roots for the DC movies to do good, too, because the more superhero movies that are good, the better it is for the genre in general. They can only help each other. Which I thought was cool. It's not just a competition where, like, no, I hope only my movies are good and the DC ones fail. But no, the more good superhero movies, the better it is for the superhero film genre. Of course. I mean, I mean, because I mean, you remember after after um, Green Lantern came out, that's all anybody wanted to talk about was how oh, this is it. It's the nail in the coffin. 
the superhero movie is dead. We're never going to – nothing yeah. – it was like, it was doomsday after Green Lantern came out, which I actually didn't really hate Green Lantern. I know some – I'm an anomaly in that one, I guess. Uh, once, uh, no, I'm right there with you, Chris. <laughs> Not <laughs> as bad as uh, it gets. And everybody talks such crap on it. I'm like, oh, this wasn't – I sat there with my wife, and we looked at each other after it was over, expecting to hate it. Maybe it's just because our, our expectations were lowered, but – we kind of looked at each other and did you hate that? I'm like, no, that was kind of fun. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I recognize it's not the best movie ever, and there's definitely things that, you know, I as a, as a creator, as a storyteller, I would have done differently. But nevertheless, it was fun. It was what it was. But, you know, it's, you know, I, if I can just for a second, I've been reading, um, I don't know if you guys have read uh, Michael Uslan's, uh The Boy Who Loved Batman book. Have you guys no, read that? Unfortunately not. No, I know of it, but I've read a little awesome. of the beginning, but not not finished it yet. It's really good, and it, you know, it talks about how he was really fighting the the stereotype of of the '60s Batman series, where everything was going to be it was pow wap zam and that or whatever yeah. you know the the sounds are, um, and and he was everybody thought of comic books or um, comic strips being derivative of that 60 series, and that's how they all were. And if, you know, if, if an Annie movie doesn't work, then a Batman movie won't work because they're comic strips. And it's, it's really, it's insane to think of now because we, you know, it's so different, and there are so many different films that have um, been born of, of comic books. But I, I think, you know, you look at, you look at a Green Lantern, you go, okay, maybe it didn't resonate with everybody, but the comic book genre, comic book movies, whether it's superheroes or not, it's a, it's a gold mine of, of great material that, um, that I think is really just exploding. And, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome. Uh, and Tim, to get back to your just original question about the comparisons between Iron Man and Batman, Actually, I don't know if you guys ever listened to it, but the Modern Myth Media, they did a whole podcast. It was their issue um, 123, yeah. <laughs> all on the similarities. And then Forbes magazine actually interviewed some of the guys on that podcast uh, and wrote an article from May 6th. It's on their um, 2013 on their website all about some of the similarities. Uh, it's the top ten comparisons between them. But the the thing is, some of them are just comic book. I mean, you make any two comic book movies, and they're going to have some similarities. Um, uh, so, you know, it's hard to say, how, you know, how much was a, a copy and how much is just what's going to happen when you make comic book movies. Um, but, um, yeah. So, Dane, do you have any opinions on this? You've been real quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not really, but... Um, I have a question for you guys, and, and spoiler alert for Iron Man 3, is Guy Pierce the Mandarin? Yeah, technically, oh. technically he says yeah. so. I, I mean, that was his last line yeah. in the movie. I am the Mandarin. I it's like the Bane and Talia thing. It's like the Bane and Talia. He's the the mastermind behind the um, uh, Mandarin. The thing is, that instead of, like, Bane was a bad guy who was, you know, Talia was using, or they were working together, depending on how you want to look at it, the Mandarin... Spoiler alert! Shut this off if you haven't watched it. He's just an uh, an actor from England pretending to be this. He's just this washed up, like drug addicted, alcoholic actor who he's using to play the part of the Mandarin. Which, come to think of it, would have been hilarious if that's what Bane turned out to be at the end. You know? Uh, <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> it would have made The Dark Knight Rises so much better. There would have been no controversy. Everyone would have loved it if at the end Bane went nah. <laughs> just, but uh. 
They would have been it, riots. That's it, Terrence. You said it, and now it's out there for the world to know. <laughs> yeah. That you think Bane should have been an actor. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cover. Well, I guess Talio kind of was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To me, that was that was a part of Iron Man Three that I didn't like. I just I kind of wish they would have took it to the more serious tone. That's what I said. That begins did a better job of having the Ducard actually being Rachel Ghoul. But I didn't like how they just made it a joke where he was just a drug, like an alcoholic actor just looking for work. I mean, sure, it had its funny moments, but I just wish it would have been more on the serious tone instead of playing it up as a joke. That was probably my biggest issue with the movie. Yeah, I don't read Iron Man. Is that how he's portrayed in the comics, or was he actually a real villain? No. Okay. No, in the, in the comics, he's the Mandarin's a real guy. He's okay. From, you know, um, and that the rings are, you know, they're they're magical rings. So I yeah. think um, that was what a lot of comic fans, you know, the purists of the comics were were expecting to see, and I think that's where that that controversy is is stemming from. Okay. Oh yeah. If they had done that for one of the Batman villains, Joker, or anybody, uh, yeah, I would have been very upset with Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read the Iron Man comics with the Mandarin at all, so I can't say uh, that I'm like a big fan of his, but I do know that to most Iron Man fans that he is like Iron Man's Joker. He's his big villain. So I yeah. can definitely see where they can be upset by that, where they're treating the, like his main villain as a joke actor. But then at the it same was a time... Gutsy, it was a gutsy move. Yeah. I mean, definitely. it was... It, 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 it was, uh, it was a, a very interesting plot twist that nobody saw coming. And, and I think... The controversy is only in that is this how that character should be portrayed or not, you know? And yeah. but I think as people that I've the top people that I've talked to that aren't familiar with the comic books and aren't familiar with Mandarin, a lot of them loved that plot twist. Some of them thought it was hilarious, like it was it was so cool, it made it so different. They didn't see it coming. It was really interesting. Um, and then you talk to comic book fans, and they all lose their minds, you know, over over how the Mandarin was treated. And so it's it's a very it's a polarizing thing. It was a it was a gutsy move by Marvel, but I I you know, in a way I applaud them for taking a chance for trying something uh different. Whether we agree or not, you know, that can be debated, but you know, at least they were trying something different and trying to do something unexpected. That was the twist that Guy Pierce is the Mandarin? Yeah. Yeah. So now you, really, now you really don't have to see it, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well no, the no, twist no. was that, the twist was really that Ben King, I mean, I don't think there was any, I don't think anybody was fooled that, that, that uh, Guy Pierce's character, Aldrich Killian, was the puppet master behind the whole thing. I don't think that was really the twist. I think we kind of knew that already. I think the, the real twist was that Ben Kingsley's character, the Mandarin, was not an actual Mandarin, but it was a, it was a theatrical presentation, a representation of who the Mandarin was. It was a, it was giving a face to terror, so that somebody had you know, that nobody cared about Aldrich Killian. The focus was on Ben Kingsley's character, the Mandarin. It gave you know, it gave people someone to fear, and, and and that he was really just an actor, had no nothing to do with any of this. That was the that was. The oh, I see. Well, I mean, I guess I don't have to see it now, right? Tim? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen the movie. No, no. I think it's safe to say. Oh my gosh, we've been oh, we totally. Uh, I think it's safe to say Shane is not a Marvel fanboy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. feel I feel awful. No, no, I had no interest in the movie. No offense, Cross, but I. Oh, none of no offense taken. I just I I I, I thought you had seen the movie. No, uh, uh, I'm not really a Marvel fan, and it, I mean, 
I, I, I usually wait for the Marvel the Marvel movies to either hit video on demand or FX. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did tell me the bargain bin too, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when it goes on okay. sale, yeah. All right. But um, I guess to wrap up the conversation on the whole Batman, Justice League, and all that stuff, I guess I'll ask you guys, if you're in charge of uh, the new DC movies from here forward, how would you handle the Batman reboot in a Justice League movie? Like, what would your be ideal situation be of how they handle it? Start with you, Grant. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> huge. Oh, that's huge. That's a huge question. Um, okay, I, I, I could, I could, I could talk for a whole other hour about what my next Batman movie would be. <laughs> um, but I think so. I actually, I actually wrote this just because I'm that nerdy. I wrote this up just thinking <laughs> nice. about what I would do. I think the easy way out is to reboot. Personally, I think that's the easy thing to do. Where you, hey, we're just going to start over, and Bruce Wayne is Batman, and he's a part of the Justice League, and he lives in a world where this is, this is where all these characters come together. I think the more interesting challenge that I'd really like to see uh, is is for Nolan to to take what he did in the, in the trilogy and come back and do at least one more movie where you try and, you know, okay, you, you've set up a lot of stuff, right? I mean, he set up a lot of things that, that drastically altered the, the, the Batman um, cinematic universe, you know, with, with Batman semi-retiring and he's gallivanting out in, in Italy with Selena Kyle and the world thinks he's dead. Um, I mean, he has a tombstone in front of Wayne Manor and Wayne Manor has been given over to uh, the orphans and John Blake has inherited the Bat Cave and all of Bat gadgets and whatnot. You know the the Bat. When that movie ended, there was a lot of things that drastically changed the Batman story, and I, I, I don't want to see him walk away from that. I want to see him now have to deal with that and resolve some of those things. And this is just me. And so the challenge that I gave myself was, you know, I, you know, and I think we talked once before. I think we talked before the Dark Knight Rises came out. And, and I, you know, what I wanted was I wanted that final shot, like, at the end of Batman 89, with Batman standing on the rooftop, bat signal in the sky, and you kind of get the impression that Batman's, um, his, his quest for justice continues forever. Yeah. And, and I, so the challenge that I wanted to give myself was, if I were to take this movie franchise, totally inherit from Christopher Nolan, what would, how could I take everything that he gave me and, and get, get it to a place where at the end of that movie, I have Batman, I have Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson standing on the rooftop as Batman and Robin with the bat signal shining in the sky. So I actually have a whole treatment for how I would get there. And I, and I very specifically say Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, um, because those are the characters I wanted to be Batman and Robin. And I think I can get there, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, but I think ultimately what I really like to see is I want to see Nolan take what he did in the Dark Knight trilogy and, and now try to resolve some of those issues. And what's the fallout from the Dark Knight Rises? Bruce Wayne is, is not, I mean, he, he's sitting in broad daylight at a cafe in Italy and he's supposed to be dead. You know, if, if Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson were suddenly sighted somewhere in, in a cafe in another country, everyone in the world would know who that person is. 
Bruce Wayne is one of the most recognizable, powerful people in the world. He's not hes not going to blend in. And so if he's just sitting on the cafe, somebody's going to notice him. Somebody's going to recognize him. And what is the fallout from that when you realize, hey, Bruce Wayne isn't dead. Bruce Wayne is alive. And, oh, by the way, Commissioner Gordon knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman now, too. So there's a lot of there's a lot of little seeds that were planted at the end of The Dark Knight Rises that I want to see resolved. So that's what I would do. Cool. I like how you have the last shot already planned out. <laughs> you could work your way towards it. That would be an well, awesome that was, last that shot. That was my goal. It's like, yeah. okay, here's the last shot. How do I get there? And I, I actually, I, honestly, I wrote this. I, I have a whole treatment of how I would get there, and I've shared it with some people, some friends of mine, and, you know, maybe they're just being nice to me, but they think it's really cool. I think it's cool, but it, 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 it gets it to a place where it takes all of those things that Nolan did and gets me to a place where I wanted that <laughs> Dark Knight Rises to end. But... Nevertheless, it will never happen. In your own continuity, it does. <laughs> in my own continuity in my brain. So if that movie ever does happen, I'm going to be totally disappointed because it won't be exactly the way I wrote it. Oh, well. I'm so glad you said standing on the rooftop like Batman 89 and not Batman and Robin running towards the light like no, <laughs> Batman no, no, Forever. No, no, no. Two moths drawn to the flint. <laughs> oh, no. no. Running to nowhere Robin's in three. smoke. Yeah, then in three, yeah. And where are you running? If that signal yeah. is behind you, where are you in space where there's a bat signal shining directly horizontal? Eh, yeah. I will say that, well, probably, that probably is the best shot in the movie because you don't see how horrible the costumes are. You just see the silhouettes, and the Batman silhouette still looks cool. To... <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you get to see, you see Batman's ears wiggle. It's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Style over, style over substance, right? Yeah, I guess so. Well, that's a long-winded answer. Oh yeah. no, it was a cool one. Well, I like I like uh, Cross's answer a lot. I I I mean, if I had that, my first thing was I would try to get um, you know, Christian Bale back, whatever you know, however much money it would take, firstborn child, sell your soul to him, whatever it took <laughs> to try to get him back for one more. And to see, to me, and I, other people have said this too, but to me, the the I want to see Batman and Superman in a movie. I don't necessarily need the rest of the Justice League, especially in the first one. Maybe the second one, you could start adding characters. But to me, the, the big draw is going to be, you know, Batman, Superman together, whether Flash and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern are there as well or not, is is going to be not as, as big a deal. Um, so I would do anything to get Christian Bale. I would kill Alfred right away because I cannot watch Alfred being <laughs> tormented again uh, and, and, and give Bruce a reason to come back. And I, I'd like to see um, maybe Selena or, you know, maybe she's in jeopardy or killed and, and, and Alfred gone and just, you know, him, you know, ne- needing to come back. And I'd also like to see – I think it would be cool – to see Christian Bale older and maybe like he was in The Dark Knight Rises, beaten down, injured, broken, and here's Superman who's just this god among men who can do anything and can fly, and here he is, you know, hanging on. Um, but um, then, you know, I don't really necessarily have ideas besides, you know, daydreaming about stuff, uh, but I would want to get somebody who had that passion and that creativity that Christopher Nolan had, you know, have them come in and pitch, have them, you know, give their ideas, uh, you know, somebody who had maybe somewhat of a, a track record, you know, Christopher Nolan didn't have that huge of a track record. He he had made some some decent and good movies, but he hadn't made, a, you know, a blockbuster yet, but he, he, he had proven he could make a good film in Memento and um, 
you know, find that, that young, hot director who, who wants to do it, has a good take on it, has that passion. I mean, if you, if you watch some of the interviews, you know, Zack Snyder has that passion for Superman and Man of Steel. You know, he had it for 300 and Watchmen also. You know, you, you just, you find that guy and you, you let him do it and you don't, you know, um, get in their way a lot. And, uh, that, that's what I'd do. Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement where, as far as from a story point, I think my ideal way would be if they're able in some way somehow get Christian Bale back to play Batman again and have him team up with Henry Cavill's Superman for Man of Steel. That's the main draw, I think, that would get people into the season. The main thing I would want to see is those two characters interacting with each other in one movie. And then maybe that could, instead of having a separate brand-new Batman movie, just have Christian Bale's Batman show up in the Justice League movie or the World's Finest movie, whatever they plan on doing. But if they can't get Christian Bale back, and there's just no way, what I would like to see happen is, before a Justice League movie, do one of the one Batman movie, whatever the reboot's going to be about, just have one standalone Batman film, and then have the Team Up movie or the Justice League movie. Because if you can't get Christian Bale back as Batman, you're going to need the, whoever's going to play the new Batman to have at least one movie to have audiences get familiar with him, and then to have that draw of having him team up with Superman be even bigger when the Justice League movie or World's Finest movie happens. Because I think if you just introduce the new Batman in Justice League, he teams up with Henry Cavill's Superman, just not going to have the same effect as the Avengers did when we knew each of these characters in their own movies beforehand. It just yeah. has that greater effect on the audience that, man, this is such a big event that these two iconic characters are teaming up. If you're familiar with them already, it's going to be even greater. So that's personally how I would like to see it happen. I, I totally agree. It doesn't have, it won't have the emotional resonance. Yeah. If it's just another, it'll, it'll look like a cosplayer. If it's just some guy in the room, who's dressed up like Batman. And you're like, well, that's not, that's not, the heart won't be there. That, and that was what was cool about Avengers, was that we already were emotionally invested in all of those characters before Avengers ever happened. So it's like, if it, to me, if you, if you gotta, if you gotta, gotta go the route of rebooting Batman, then postpone Avengers, or excuse me, postpone Justice League. Don't try and force it into this 15 time frame. You know, yep. take your time, do the new Batman right, get get that character to a point where we can connect with whoever this new Bruce Wayne is, so that when Henry Cavill and whoever, if there is a new Bruce Wayne, that when they show up in, in Justice League together, then we 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 get it, we we understand why that's special and why that's cool. Yeah, um, that's what kind of that's what scares me a little bit when I when we think about oh you know you got to introduce Batman first. Clock's ticking. You know, we are, it's 2013 right now, and we're halfway through. Um, you know, who knows where, you know, Warner Brothers is in development on any of this, but, you know, hey, I already know what Marvel's film slate is for 2014. I know they've got Captain America and Guardians of the Galaxy coming next year. And then the year after, it's Avengers 2. So if, if we're sticking, Warner Brothers is what I say we, I mean, we're Warner Brothers, right? If, if they're sticking to this 2015 time frame of releasing Justice League. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> you, better, you, you better hurry and, and make a Batman movie. That makes me nervous because, like, hey, make, do this right. Don't just introduce. Don't just do a Batman movie just to do a Batman movie. It's got to be great. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Where I'm kind of worried that. Well, personally, I think the 2015 date's kind of out the window now because <laughs> it's just like there's having so many pushbacks with the script for Justice League. But I personally am just worried that by the time Avengers 2 comes out, and we already know that's going to be a monster hit, 
that they'll just yeah. rush into Justice League just so they can have their team up movie before this new reboot of Batman film franchise. I just have a feeling that's what they're going to do because it's going to see how much money Avengers 2 is going to make. And then I just one thing I know I've said this before. One thing I hope does not happen is Man of Steel fight is not financially successful for them in a big way that they don't get scared off again and just cancel all the superhero movie plans and just focusing on a Batman reboot. And that's all. That's the only DC movie superhero will get is Batman. I just hope that is not the case. I mean, by everything, it looks like Man of Steel is at least going to be a good movie. To me, it looks phenomenal, but we'll wait to see when it actually comes out. But even if it is a phenomenal movie, and but financially it doesn't do what they're expecting, I just hope they don't get scared like they did with Green Lantern and just kind of postpone everything again. And they, yeah, might, well, they might. Yeah. I think there's a lot riding on Man of Steel. Yeah. Well, I think what hurt Green Lantern, too. Now, for the record, I liked Green Lantern. I didn't love it. I, I do think it's got some weaknesses and some, you know, some issues. But I did like it. But I think Green Lantern didn't do well in the box office, but it also didn't do well critically and with the fans. I think if it would have done critically well or with the fans, they might have not been as scared. Because Batman Begins didn't do that phenomenally great, you know, when you look at it. But it was so well-received and then did so well on DVD and, and had such good word of mouth that, um, you know, they were they were willing to go and make, you know, The Dark Knight, which was a huge success. So even if Man of Steel maybe might not be the huge success they're hoping for, if, it, if it's critically good, if the fans like it, I think they'll they'll realize just follow the Batman Begins model. Um, but, you know, if you look at, you know, the last Superman movie, Superman Returns, you know, that didn't do that bad in the box office. I mean, it costs so much money to make that it, it you know, um, it, it didn't really make a profit because they had to bring in so much more. But it actually did fairly decent amount. It's not like people didn't go see it. It wasn't like Superman 4 where, you know, no one went to see it. So hopefully, you know, considering that movie was kind of panned and, and not well liked and what that made and, and what the... the the climate is right now for superhero movies. I'm really hoping, I really think that, you know, Man of Steel will have a, a, a decent, uh, you know, box office, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, if, if I told my wife, I said, if this does not do well, I'm going to be so depressed. I'm going to like be like locked away for weeks in my room, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, we still want you on the podcast, so. Oh, no, I'll do the good. podcast. <laughs> yeah, it'll just no, we don't be a lot of depressed on the podcast. <laughs> there'll be a lot of crying. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Terry, did you like this comic? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we're done with the future topic. And, Terrence, you had a Star Wars question for Tim. So, let's hear it. All right, and I know it's usually your domain, Dane, but uh, when when you mentioned we might have uh, Cross on the show, I listened to the last Josh and Cross uh, podcast, which, now this uh, may give it away. It's, that was a go, by the way. I'm sorry, what? That was like 100 years ago, I think. Yeah, well, I said this, it might give it away a little bit because it was from December. So December is okay. a little clue there. But uh, okay. the question is, oh, where is it? I had it up here. Um, when was the Boba Fett character first seen by the American public? Uh, simple. The Star Wars Holiday Special, the animated one. <laughs> That's good. And then, actually, that was my second question because I was researching. My first question, which I thought was a lot harder but now I realize, now that I'm just old, it's actually a lot easier, is have you actually watched the Star Wars Holiday Special? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I have. Yeah. Painful. I mean, the quality of the bootleg copies, the quality are so bad, but 
it fits the actual uh, TV special because that's so bad. <laughs> it's so really have... difficult. It's, it's yeah. hard to get through. I mean, well, the, it, the it, bubble it, that animated special has the best thing on it, but even like some of the character <laughs> animations, like Luke and Han, they just look funny in there. Yeah, it used to be really difficult to see it. You'd have to get some bad bootlegs or at a convention, but at, searching around, it's all on YouTube now. The entire thing is on YouTube, yeah. so it's not quite as as hard as it used to be back back when I was a kid. But back in the day, you used to have to buy some cheesy VHS quality of it. But uh, no, I'm impressed. That was very good, Tim. But um, Chewie's family is still in canon from that holiday special. Oh, really? So they didn't completely wipe away everything from that. Cool. <laughs> but, yeah, that was on the Josh and Cross podcast. You guys gave a great review of it. I, I, I was laughing a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I, here's a little piece of trivia from, from that, the Star Wars holiday special. Art Carney's character, and I forget his name, is the only character in any Star Wars... I believe, in any Star Wars movie or otherwise, to wear glasses. Oh, well, that's a good point. There you go. Make of that what you will. And there, I, is, that, there was a droid in the latest, in like the last Clone Wars arc that had like these bivocal glasses that he like snapped down on his face. <laughs> but I don't know if you want to count a droid. Yeah, no, All right. right. You proved yeah. me wrong. <laughs> you get a geek dollar. Yeah. Yes. There's a question for you, Tim. What was Art Carney's name in the Star Wars or his character? I, I looked it up here. I've got it right here for you. I, yeah, I don't know. I probably, I'd have to look it up to find out. Yeah, Son, S-A-U-N, Dan, D-A-N-N, Son Dan, I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah. Not the greatest Star Wars name. <laughs> to the moon, yeah. <laughs> All right. I, and, oh, I know Chewie's, kids are, Chewie's kid is Lumpy, and his uh, <laughs> wife's name is Mala. I know that. Because I actually had... Even before I saw this holiday special, an old, like, children's book that showed, was based on Chewie's family. Like, his son Lumpy goes out to this, like, on the bottom of Kashyyyk to pick these wild berries. And then he, like, gets lost and he has to deal with all these monsters and creatures that are in the forest. And at the end, Han and uh, Chewie rescue him from the Falcon. I was like, it was one of the books I read over and over again as a kid. <laughs> cool. And it was a lot better than Holiday Special, that's for sure. But anyway. But anyway, and then uh, I, I, the listener feedback section, I know we don't have emails, but my wife did text in a question for you guys. So I don't know if you wanted to intro that or just go to it. I'll uh, just go to it. All right. So the the question for my wife this week, uh, we're, we're listening to the Fat Man on Batman podcast with Dan DiDio. And he had mentioned that he had 96 long boxes filled with comics, all from before he started working at DC. And so I kind of said, see, the, the nine that I have in my closet aren't too bad. Uh, but um, my wife's question for each of you is, how many long boxes of comics do you each have? <laughs> I actually have a mix of long boxes and then, uh, like, file cabinets of comics that uh, me and my brother have a few in our rooms. So. <laughs> Yeah. So we got a split of them. Some there's like three in the garage, and I got some long boxes in the hallway here. So it's kind of a mixture. <laughs> yeah. of stuff. It's not quite 97, but it's enough where it gets me to think uh, I might have to go more digital on certain titles. Yeah, it sounds like that's like would you say in the teens? Would you say? Yeah, maybe close <laughs> to the 20s or something like that. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call BS on 96 long boxes. <laughs> that sounds a bit excessive, uh, but I don't know. Maybe he does. Um, I I think I'm at about 20 right now. Um, I just I had I had nine in my office. I just uh, I just had to clean out my office 
uh, at work, and unfortunately, I had to come home to my wife and, and drop nine new long boxes in our in our house, which she's super <laughs> bumped about. Um, so, uh, yeah, out in the garage, I'd say probably in the in the ballpark of twenty to twenty five. I think I'm in there somewhere. Wow. Uh, yeah, according to Dave, they had yeah, 96 seem high, but he did say he's been collecting since 1960. So that's true. Uh, okay, kind of okay. Old. Yeah, and even uh, I, he didn't say how many he had, but Jeff Loeb has got a huge collection too that he mentioned. He's got an entire garage filled with them. Um, and even in uh, the um, the Batman, the Boy Who Loved Batman book, uh, Uslin talks about. He's got a whole garage filled with some some comics too. But how about you, Dane? How many long boxes you got hiding away? Um, well, I have 13 here, uh, in my old apartment, and, um, at my parents' house, I think it was around 28, 29, wow. maybe, and, um, I've got a bunch of, you know those blue bins, the plus bins? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, a, I think I, there's like eight or nine, uh, just filled with single issues that I don't care about, and some trade paperbacks that I don't care about, so... Yeah, I've got a lot of comics. Yeah, I use those plastic bins for all my uh, Star Wars magazines, Star Wars Insider, Star Wars books. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. Those Target bin boxes, those plastic bins come in handy. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they give the they give the illusion of being more organized than you actually are. <laughs> yeah. So true. All right, so I guess we'll go ahead and move on to our comic review section. Uh, before we start, uh, Dane and Cross had to take off, so. They'll just be me and Terrence handling the comic section. And uh, before we get into it, we got, of course, let everyone know it's going to be full of spoilers for the comics we're going to be discussing this episode. And our rating scale for this one, since Dane's not here again, we have to make him the target for the rating scale. <laughs> That's going to be a tradition. <laughs> Whoever's not here is the rating scale topic. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be Marvel movies that Dane won't see. How many Marvel movies that Dane will not see will be our rating scale. So uh, first off, we have the week of May 8th. And we had Batman number 20 and Batman and Red Hood slash Batman and Robin number 20. So I um, guess we'll go ahead and start with Batman number 20. And Terrence, I know you had, fell a little behind in your comics last two weeks, so Batman and 20, I think, you said is the only one you read. So go ahead and start us off with the review on that one. Yeah, oh, and actually, I, I just realized I did read Batman and the Red Hood number 20. I didn't read Red Hood number 20. I did read Batman uh, and the Red Hood number 20. Okay, cool. Um, I got two. <laughs> yeah, the... the Actually, the podcast where you guys reviewed Batman 19, I didn't make it for that one. And uh, so I had not read Batman 19. So actually today, uh, just a couple hours ago, actually, I read back-to-back Batman 19 and 20. And I really like 19. I had read the review. Somebody's review said it felt like a classic Batman the Animated Series episode. Um, and I like that. But 20, I gotta say, I was very disappointed in this episode, it, uh, an episode, and in this comic. Uh, it, possibly because it, I'm, I'm expecting a lot more from Snyder and Capullo because they've delivered, you know, so many great issues of, uh, Batman. Um, and for the most part, the artwork I, I, I really liked. It was mainly the story that I didn't, I had trouble with. Um, uh, I felt, you know, my biggest knock on Snyder overall for and batman overall is that they don't really make him the world's greatest detective they don't make him anything of a detective and all of clayface's plan and what clayface was up to he basically just tells bruce and there's a couple scenes in the beginning where they're trashing some of uh wayne uh enterprises batman tech and and basically clayface just monologues and tells him the whole thing 
so there's no detective work whatsoever. Um, and then I thought it, I did like the, the, the nod to the Batman Begins suit in there pretty good. Uh, but they do make it obvious that Lucius Fox does not know that Bruce is Batman, which I have thought Lucius did know Bruce was Batman. And I don't know if in the Grant Morrison run they had done that or I'm just getting confused with the movies, but, um, Either way, that's that's not going to make or break my enjoyment of a, a comic. Um, but then I just I had a little trouble understanding what Clayface's motivation was in having Bruce Wayne be this bank robber and everything, because he supposedly, or at least he thinks he kills Bruce Wayne by, you know, but Bruce Wayne's able to hold his breath for seven minutes. And then they throw them in this garbage. He throws uh, Bruce Wayne and, and Lucius Fox in this garbage compactor that is right out of the Death Star. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I okay. thought it was kind of cool, but it was, I mean, it was totally, you know, and that is, that's one of my favorite all-time scenes of Star Wars. Um, and so, you know, I kind of went with it and stuff. But so, you know, if I was Clayface and I had just killed Bruce Wayne and I had taken over Bruce Wayne's body, I don't think I'd go rob a bank. I think I'd live it up as the world's greatest playboy millionaire. I mean, I don't I don't see where he was coming from there. Um, and then I was kind of disappointed in the art here in that in a, it. Um, I almost said episode again. In issue 19, you know, Bruce had talked about the fact that he um was getting a special containment suit made uh, and they, and they hinted at it. And then when they showed, they finally did the reveal of the containment suit. It was just, I was just kind of like, eh, it didn't really impress me. I, I was kind of hoping for something a little more. We've, we've seen some alternate suits in the detective comic run. And, and I think in the dark Knight possibly too. And this just wasn't much of anything. It was just yeah. like a big orange space, you know, orange and black space. suit. I, I was kind of disappointed to me. Just, it looked like, one of those cheap action figures you would see on the shelves for like a Batman movie that no one will buy. Just one of those suits that they would make just to try to get people to buy. And that's what it looked like to me. Exactly. And, you know, they hinted it at 19 uh, that they was going to have this suit. And, and, you know, the Batman Begins suit was pretty cool. So, I, and, um, and, you know, and because it's Snyder and Capullo, I think I was just expecting more. I, I think I was expecting more from him. Um, and then it, it wraps up. And then there, there's, it's kind of a weird thing where Clayface knows that, you know, Bruce Wayne is uh, Batman by testing him. But then Bruce says that he had a some kind of microfiber over his face that had Bruce Wayne's DNA to try to trick him. And it's just, just kind of like, well, why? Why would Batman do that? You know, it just kind of it just kind of seemed a little weird. And then Clayface buys it. And Commissioner Gordon, you could see he's kind of looking, but. And you and I kind of would think like, oh, well, they're going to do something with this or they're going to lead to it. But the next 11 issues are going to take place in zero year. So they're really not building anything. Um, and then the end had some nice touching scenes with Damon, I, I thought. Um, the backup story or or I should say a, a Alfred and Bruce looking at old video of Damon, which I thought was it actually kind of redeemed it a little bit at the end. The backup story, which was written by uh, James Tinney in the fourth, wasn't Scott Snyder at all, uh, was kind of forgettable. I thought the first part of this in 19 was pretty good. Um, and there were at the end, there was a, a nice little Batman Superman. I think the last page with Batman and Superman was, was pretty good. But the overall, the rest of it was just kind of mystical and kind of forgettable. So I, I actually... I like 19 a lot. I was disappointed in 20, um, and maybe hopefully you might have liked it a little more than I did. Uh, so I would give this two uh, movies that 
uh, two Marvel movies that Dane will not go see uh, out of five. And I probably would have given it higher if it had been a different creative team. But just because of um, who and what they've they've done in the past, I guess I was expecting more. And I also have this question for you. The inker on this was Danny Miki. Um, did the other inker, is he off the book now, or did he go somewhere else? Or is yeah, that, I believe that... he's off the book now, yeah. Okay, because yeah, he had given a great interview on the on Modern Media, uh, Modern Myth Media podcast. What was his name? I can't think of it right now. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on it. But, yeah, he, he had done a lot with uh, Capullo, so. Uh, but, uh, you know, it actually doesn't look that different, the art, so. Yeah, I, I kind of feel bad because I know inkers do a great job, but unfortunately this is all on me. But sometimes I just don't pay attention to the credits on the inkers. It's probably something I should do more because, like you said, they they do get underappreciated, I think. And unfortunately, I fall into that category, so I got to give them more respect and pay attention yeah. to who's making the book. Yeah, his name was Jonathan Glappen, G L A T I O N. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I never even knew what an inker did. I just knew that uh, you know, uh, what was it Mall Rats where they joked around that all he does is trace, you know. Uh, <laughs> But uh, once time in DC Comics, uh, back in the early 90s, they had um, like a little, I guess how they do now, that, that DC News, they they had, used to have like little things about how comics were made, uh-huh. and they actually had like the pencils of somebody's art, I forget who it was, and then they had it inked by four different inkers, and like one of them I remember was Claus Jansen, who's like a really heavy inker, and you could actually see like how the inker takes the pencils and how different each page looked even though it was the same page, how different it looked by different inkers. Uh, but, yeah, overall, I, I, inkers are kind of forgettable, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to change that. At least yeah. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, but for me, yeah, judging by your score, I think we've had the opposite <laughs> opinion okay. on this issue. I really liked it. I mean, I thought issue number 19 was good and solid, but it wasn't like the great usual Snyder story that we're used to getting. But at the same time, too, I just like that – this is a short story, and we're getting to see him work on a classic Batman villain like Clayface. But I, I really like this issue. I thought, um, I think it played out better than it did in 19. And I can see what you're saying about Clayface being uh, kind of where he's explaining everything to Bruce instead of him figuring it out. But I guess it was maybe just to kind of move the story along. But I did like Clayface's, the new, this new 52 Clayface, where he has the power to mimic everyone's uh, genetic DNA, where if they do run tests or anything, it will be that person he's imitating. And at the same time, he's losing his original form as Basil Carlo. So I did like the aspect of this clay base and his new powers. And like you said, too, the scene in the <laughs> trash compactor for the Death Star I thought was cool. I thought the same thing. And then seeing the Batman Beyond, too, I thought that was just the coolest thing in the issue. Just seeing Bruce get into that suit, and then he's asking Lucius Fox, uh, why did you just throw this out? <laughs> he's uh, well, it's like at least another 20 years before it becomes cost-effective. Effect, cost and like, and eh, there's some other stuff I'll let you know about sometimes. So I thought it was cool that they're planting the seeds at least in some way where he will get the Batman Beyond suit at least 20 years down the line. I just love that little uh, nod or so to the Batman Beyond universe there. And then I agree what you're saying, like I said, about that uh, suit that Batman had on. I was thinking to myself, why couldn't he just stay in the Batman Beyond suit? <laughs> that would have been much cooler to see in the final confrontation. But um, I did like that whole fight sequence that Batman had with Clayface. I love the art on there and what Greg Capillo did with Clayface as uh, he threw Batman out the window and then part of him is turning into the Joker and then he turns into like Penguin and the Riddler's face. I like that aspect of that sequence and how it looked and how it all played out. And I did like too how they captured uh, Clayface and then he was exposing Batman really as Bruce Wayne. 
And I kind of had the opposite opinion of how Bruce kind of countered that. I was expecting, you know, kind of the typical thing, someone else would show up, like the real Bruce Wayne, somebody in a mask will show up, and then it'll confuse them to say, no, but you're really Batman. How is this possible? I'm glad they didn't go that route, some cliche like that. But instead, he just said, like, he used the fiber mask with uh, an impression he took off Wayne after uh, he saved him. So just to kind of, he knew that Clayface was going to do, and so he was uh, took precaution and got that. And then when he took it off, he revealed that it wasn't really him. So I did like how Batman got out of that. And then probably my favorite part of the issue is the end sequence with uh, Batman reacting to Clayface as he turns to Damien. He just gets Batman riled up, and Batman goes starts yelling at Clayface. And then when he actually uh, uh, shapeshifts into Damien, Batman just loses it and starts pounding the glass that Clayface is trapped in. I thought that was great. And then the final sequence, too, of uh, Batman and Alfred looking at that video of Damien, Damien. And then just seeing the tears come down Bruce's face and just Alfred putting his hand on his shoulder, I thought was great. And um, I just think that out of all the bat books that are showing uh, Bruce handling uh, Damien's deaths, Scott Snyder is doing it the best, which doesn't come as any surprise to me. Because uh, as we'll talk about with Batman and Red Robin number 20, there's certain things I don't like that Tomasi's doing with Bruce Wayne and coping with Damien's death. But what Snyder's doing, it's just I just think it's great. It's how I think most parents would react or cope with the loss of a son and then just how he's kind of, instead of kind of to move on, he says he's not ready to let him go, and that's why he's watching those videos. I just love that aspect. So, overall, yeah, I, I, I was going to jump in and say I, I agree with you. Yeah, it, it, Snyder is doing the best job with the Damien stuff, and the, the best part of the issue was the Damien stuff. I, I agree. And the Batman Begins. I, I mean the Batman Beyond suit. But, yeah, uh, I also like how he throws back to, like, how Bruce reacted when um, Jason died. And yeah. putting that in, and, and and a throwback to how he acted in the comics. Then, so yeah, I just want to say I agree with you on that one. Yeah. So overall, I thought this was a really cool issue. Everything I thought worked well together. And like I said before, I think it was just nice to kind of get a a nice short story that focuses on one of Batman's uh, Rose Gallery, who hasn't been uh, in the New Fifty Two that much yet. So yeah, I really like this issue. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five Marvel movies that Dane will not see. So yeah, I thought it was great. And that takes us to Batman and Red Hood number 20. So what did you think of that one, Terrence? You know, this one, uh, kind of a little mixed. Uh, also, this was one that I read 19 and 20 back-to-back. So um, this had a lot going on. There was a lot put in these 22 pages. Um, and so they, they, they showed more of the, the Carrie Kelly uh, story, which that um, – I would say I'm intrigued. I'd like to know where they're going with it. I, I really hate if they introduce her. You know, she's completely out of time-wise as far as where she fits normally in the story. Um, and so I would really hate, you know, in, in regards to the Dark Knight Returns. So I really hate it if they just kind of used her here in a couple issues and then we never see her again. Uh, hopefully, you know, Tomasi and uh, DC's got some big plans for her because she's too good of a character. Um at first, I started really liking the Batman Red Hood team up. I thought it was really good to see them kind of back together. It kind of was like fitting that they've they've kind of revamped the Red Hood. He's not this insane killer who's trying to kill Batman, and he's and and he's more of just the partner with who's just um, a little bit more extreme. Even you know when they they get to the desert and they they. Um, 
storm this compound. I think Batman says something. Oh, here he goes. Hands, knees, and elbows, you know, for, for the shooting. Uh, and, uh, you know, Red Hood's like, okay, nothing but, you know, like he agrees as opposed to Red Hood just killing everybody. It did seem a little weird for Batman to be working with somebody using guns, but, um, you know, but, uh, then I kind of, I, I kind of didn't like how this whole team up was just to try to jog Jason's memory to see if he could try to bring back, you know, uh, Damien. It just, I don't know, just something didn't stick right with me with that. I, I, I just would have preferred it if they, it was just a straight up team up or, you know, I think he would have, you know, been better if he would have been honest with Jason. So, you know, it just kind of lost me a little bit there. Um, and the, the artwork was great, but that was just kind of the end of the story. Um, and then, um, it ends with them sort of, uh, Red Hood and Batman it ends with them kind of fighting. So now I don't know, like, have all this like reconciliation that they've been building up towards uh is that gone because you know in the red hood you know they were hugging in the hospital bed and and everything was good again and now you know he's saying goodbye bruce so i'm kind of curious i'd hate that all you know months and months of this you know building him back up are now gone uh and then it ends with a little two-faced teaser which um I would really love to see Gleason's version of Two Face. I think he'll probably be able to draw a great Two Face. Um, and so, uh, you know, overall, this was kind of even though there was a lot of stuff going on in it, it was kind of a quick read, and you know, not too too much moved along in the main story arc of Batman. It was just kind of touching in. So I'd, I'd give this pro- probably three out of five movie Marvel movies that Dane will not go see. Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with you there. I mean, this issue number 20 had a lot to do to take away the stain of Batman and Robin number 19, because I just thought that issue was horrible. Yeah, I hated yeah. what Tomasi did with that, and they're trying to bring Damien back to life through that Frankenstein character. I just hated yeah. that. And so when this issue started, I'm glad they're picking up on the Carrie Kelly thing. I do like what they're doing with her. But like you said, too, I just hope it's, she's not wasted and they do develop her character into something bigger. I kind of like the fact that you can tell Batman's intrigued with her. But at the same time, he's, like, ignoring her and kind of being rude to her at the same time. But yet he doesn't hate her. Like, he's in a strange way kind of respecting her, like, showing respect to Damien by, like, by like allowing her to come in here, like, ask these questions and all this stuff. And it looks like she will be in it for the foreseeable future because Alfred gives her that job to watch uh, Damien's dog Titus. I just wonder how long Bruce is going to keep the facade up of, for letting him know, thinking that Damien's still alive. So I am liking what they're doing with Carrie Kelly. I just hope it leads to some something that's pretty good, cool. And then, too, with the whole Batman and Jason Todd teaming up, I did like that. I thought when I was reading this, yes, this is a, another way Batman would cope with uh, Damien's death. He would want to go take his frustrations out on the criminals out there and this is a perfect example, taking on these bounty hunters who were trying to kill him in the Batman Incorporated story. I thought that was great how he tied that in, and this is how he's just going to make him pay for that, even though they didn't necessarily kill him, but that was their intention, and he was not going to let him get away with that. It was a pretty cool sequence that played out, too. And like you said, um, I was kind of surprised that Batman would allow Jason to use his guns. I know he did say go for the like the knees and the arms and all that stuff, but I thought maybe he would have had him use rubber bullets or something, just in case. Jason would uh, get the inclination to actually kill somebody. So it was kind of, like you said, strange to see him working with Red Hood and all these guns. But at the same time, too, he did do that in uh, the Under the Red Hood movie where they were teaming up against those assassins. I do like 
when Damien, or not Damien, Jason and Bruce do fight together, I think they have some good fighting chemistry. They work well together. Even Bruce said it's like, this is just like old times. So everything in this issue was great up until the end, like you said. Then it got to the whole point of Bruce trying to bring Damien back to life. I just don't like what Tomas, that aspect that Tomas is doing to Bruce. Like I said, Scott Snyder is handling it great, I think, of how he's coping with Damien's death. I just don't think this version of Batman trying to figure out a way to bring him back to life works. Maybe it does for some people. They can't see, since Batman is an obsessive person, I mean, he is Batman because his parents were killed. So maybe it works for some people, but to me it just doesn't. I don't think Bruce would spend his time trying to bring Damien back to life, but instead trying to do what he did earlier in this issue, just get his frustrations out on all these criminals and killers. And then what Snyder's doing is showing him reliving the moments with Damien, not ready to let him go. So that's the stuff I like to see with Batman coping with Damien's death, not this whole stuff with trying to bring him back with Frankenstein and then trying to figure out from Jason how he came back to life. I just, yeah, just didn't work for me. I didn't like the whole fight sequence, how it played out. Like you said, they did have some nice moments together earlier on when he helped him from the Joker toxin from Death of the Family, the aftermath with that. And now it seems like they're all on bad terms together. So I did not like how the issue ended. I thought the first half of it was great, but then just fell into a story that I, or a character, characterization of Bruce that I just don't like seeing. So I think I'm going to be right there with you with the score. I'm going to give it three out of five Marvel movies that Dane won't see. It was great up until the end. I just, hopefully this will be the end of Batman trying to figure out a way to bring Damien back to life because it's just not working for me. Yeah, and you know what's funny is on the uh, Simpsons uh, DVDs, one of the commentaries, it talks about how, um, I forget who it says, but he hates on like sitcoms, how like they'll they'll have a scene and something will happen in a restaurant and then the family will get home and they'll start talking about what happened at the restaurant. And and they're like, well, wouldn't they talk about that in the car ride home? Like, why why were they quiet? The you know, and I, it's just because the nature of the show, they don't show the car ride. And this kind of had that moment where you know, Batman and the Red Hood fly out to God only knows where and somewhere in Afghanistan or Asia from Gotham City. And then as they get out and they're fighting, they're having this big conversation, and they, he's thanking him for the Joker stuff that helping him out and all this. And, you know, and I'm thinking like. Well, what if they have talked about this on the plane ride to Asia? Like they, yeah. they wait till they're fighting and things are blowing up and things are shooting to to have this conversation. And I actually think if they would have maybe shortened the fight a page or two and then had a page where they were having this conversation, it would have had a lot more emotional uh, weight than having them shooting and punching and fighting and trying to have an, a conversation. Uh, it just kind of seemed a little disjointed. So yeah, totally agree. I think there's what. Two, at least two or three more, uh, at least team up books. And we got Batman and Nightwing and Batman and, uh, Catwoman. I think is the last one. Maybe there's one more I'm forgetting, but I think that's it. And I just hopefully after those, will Batman will move on from this whole thing of Damien or trying to bring him back to life. Because like I said before, just not a version of the character I like reading about. Well, because then Damien will be back to life and. <laughs> so there you go, yeah. <laughs> back to Batman and Robin soon, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. But so, yeah, that takes us up to the week of May 15th for the comics. And I think it's just going to be me on these ones for the ones I read. Oh, real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just checked it out on DC Comics. The, um, uh, you know, Batman and Batman and Batgirl is 21. 
Batman and Catwoman is 22. Oh, Batman yeah. and Nightwing is 23. But I hadn't seen this, but the cover of it has, like, Batman and Nightwing fighting that guy, the Hederic, the one who killed Damon. Mm. And in the foreground is Damon's boot and leg and cape. So I, I don't know if that's going to be Carrie Kelly dressed as Robin or um, what, but that's it's kind of weird to have Damon's boot and stuff on the cover. So... Or it's going to be a cover that has absolutely nothing to do with the comic. <laughs> yeah, they would never do that. They would never. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was the one I forgot. Batgirl, the team up. So there's three more. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Batgirl, that'll be the one we'll start off with with Batgirl number twenty. And this is starting the new arc with introducing the new ventriloquist for the new Fifty Two. And I guess this issue was okay. It wasn't horrible, but at the same time, I couldn't really get into the new ventriloquist. I mean, it's total. This is like the totally different one from even uh, the one in Detective Comics that I believe Paul Dini did, who was a female ventriloquist. So uh, there's no mention of, like, Arnold Wesker or anything, the original Scarface. And we get a little bit of the background of this new ventriloquist who, like, was a troubled kid who got made fun of and had a birthday party. Like, he's, like, one of those kids who was evil from, uh, looks like from childbirth, even, because she's, like, she poisons the kid at this party. She looks like kills this uh, a magician who's going to do a magic act, and she steals his puppet, not like becomes his or her puppet that she uses as a ventriloquist. But what I do like in this issue, and it looks like what's going to be uh, playing out in future Batgirl issues, is how Batgirl's dealing with the aftermath of her uh, killing uh, her brother James, if he is dead. I still have an inclination that he's alive. I hope he's dead because I think it makes for a better story, but I don't know. I don't think they'll have a character like that dead for long, but... Uh, she's here visiting her psychiatrist again. She's in tears. She's saying how she, she can't really tell her what's going on or why she's like this, but she's just explaining how her life's not going right right now, and she went out kind of to free her mind and kind of looking for trouble. But now she's kind of monologuing this. We see her out as Batgirl, and this is where she confronts the ventriloquist who goes on this, like, America's Got Talent show. She gets rejected by the judges because of her ventriloquist action. She's no good. And she ends up killing one of the judges with the puppet. And I don't know, this puppet's not as good as Scarface. I like the mobster uh, puppet with the machine gun and the dual personalities. They didn't really specify if this new ventriloquist, if she has split personality disorder. It just seems like she's crazy and she's using the puppet just to, as her weapon and to kill people. And But one of her powers looks like she has the ability to mimic uh, people's exact voice. So we'll, they haven't explained how she does that yet, but that looks like something that's unique to her. So, of course, we see uh, Barbara trying to stop her because she takes, the ventriloquist takes one of the ho- judges from this competition hostage, and Batgirl goes, tries to help her. But um, she does, I did like the sequence that played out between her fighting the puppet. The puppet does have some uh, unique tricks that the old Scarface didn't have. He has, like, these spikes that comes out of his hands and shocks people or just stabs them. And she has, like, good, like, remote control of this puppet. Sometimes it's like she's using it to her... Uh, marionettes and strings but sometimes it looks like he's just out on his own so I don't know if it's mechanical or what or how he, uh, this puppet actually operates but I did like the fight sequence that played out between her and uh, Batgirl but, but then the issue kind of ends where uh, the ventriloquist is able to make the hostage say that Batgirl's the one who kidnapped her and so she has to handle the police while the ventriloquist escapes but so all that stuff it was okay it wasn't horrible I just prefer the old Arnold Wesker Scarface uh, duo of the ventriloquist. But uh, what I'm really interested uh, to see where the story goes is how uh, James Gordon is pretty much has a manhunt out for Barbara. 
or not Barbara, but Batgirl, because he thinks she's the one who killed James Gordon. I just think it's going to make, hopefully make for some good, intriguing stories where we see Barbara's father is the one leading this police manhunt to see her arrested. And hopefully it should lead to some good character moments between Batgirl and uh, James Gordon. We'll see how it all plays out, but I think it definitely has the potential to be something that's going to be good for both characters. So hopefully the future issues will play more on that and the ventriloquist storyline become, become more of a side point. And this issue is the opposite. The ventriloquist was the main story, and then James Gordon uh, trying to track down Batgirl was the side point. So I hope those reverse in upcoming issues. So, yeah, it was okay. I'll go ahead and probably give it just two and a half out of five Marvel movies that Dane won't see. It looks like it's laying the groundwork for some stories that look to be good in the future, hopefully. Hey, can I ask you a question? Uh, real quick, two things. I'm looking at Batgirl, the, the previews here. Jonathan Glappin, who we just mentioned, is going to be inking 21, 22, and 23. So I guess that's what happened to him. Uh, and the covers for 23 and 22 look really good. But um, this issue was written by Gail Simone. Did you notice uh, much of a difference with her back on the book? I think it's definitely, yeah. I like it better than even the previous issue where she wrapped up the old James Jr. storyline. It was definitely better than, I think it was Ray Fox, who was on the other two issues that Gail Simone wasn't on. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's it's good to have her back on this. It's just that, like I said before, it's the main thing I just wish I was focusing on is the Barbara-Gordon uh, aspect of Gordon trying to track her down for the murder of his son. I think that should be the main focus of the story because it has the potential to be really good. But right now it looks like it's focusing on that ventriloquist, which isn't the greatest. It's, I mean, like I said, not horrible, but... I don't know. I think it could be better. So just hope it switches up in the next issues. Cool. Yeah, so after that, the only other one I read from the week of May 15th was uh, Nightwing number 20. And have you read uh, number 19? No, I haven't. Okay, because this is the second part of uh, Dick's Adventures in Chicago now. And I have to say I am enjoying his, uh, I guess, run through this new city of Chicago because the whole thing of the city is where they don't really like masked heroes, and there really hasn't been any since I think they mentioned that one was there, but he got killed. So... Chicago doesn't take too kindly of mass uh, superheroes. But, of course, the whole thing is uh, Dick's trying to track down uh, Tony Zuko. And at the same time, there's this threat of uh, the prankster who is like the cyber criminal in Chicago. And it looks like that to get to Tony Zuko, Dick is going to have to go through the uh, prankster who probably has some information or at least a lead on what's up with Tony Zuko. Because uh, Dick actually, uh, he goes to another informant to, to give him some information it was a pretty cool sequence where this guy, the way he'll give up the information, if you, kind of, you have to kind of gamble with him by playing cards. It was just a cool sequence where Dick is monologuing to himself. Now, this guy thinks he's pretty good, and there's this panel where he's observing him, knowing not all his tricks to read his body language as far as to know what kind of hand he has in his cards. I just like, Dick goes, man, this guy's pretty good, but he hasn't played against me yet. And he's like exposing his weaknesses, saying like he has a clenched jaw there. He has a controlled uh, blink rate. His smoking is increasing. He has a tight grip on his cards. I just like how he used all that information that only Batman would teach him to able to read this person and win at this game. So, of course, he does, and he's able to get information on this guy, the prankster. And uh, he hasn't been in too much for Mission 19 in this issue, but I do like this villain because the way he's, he's making out to be a cyber criminal, but he, going after these people who are real criminals. Like in the previous issue, he went after this guy who was like in, I think he was a mayor or some politician who was like involved in child trafficking. He was making him pay for that. And now he's going against this uh, guy whose company was like doing some lighting installation in homes. 
but they were defective materials and they were causing like these fires and explosions to happen that goes on that kills these people in these homes and he's making this guy pay for it i just like the traps he sets up for these villains because it's like he has sets it in a irony way where uh the products that they're using that's killing these people is he's using it against them to make them pay for their crimes and so that's what he's using against this guy and who's lighting manufacturing is uh, killing people in their homes dick of course saves them but then uh, the prankster goes against dick and he kind of takes dick by surprise because he probably didn't expect him to able to hack into the computer and take off his uh his uh heads up display that is mass so dick is pretty much blind or unless he takes off his mask, he won't be able to see. At the same time, that doesn't stop Dick, thanks to Batman's training, which I love seeing on display. He's able to, but even out seeing, he's able to defend against the prankster and block against his attacks and kind of deal some blows to him. But uh, eventually, it does take a soul where uh, the prankster cuts out the sound, so Dick can't rely on that to know where his movements are. So the prankster is able to get the better of him. And then the issue ends where he has Dick trapped, where... Uh, like the only way for him to get out is that if uh, he has to take away his mask in order to pull a right, like a right lever to not him escape, or there's a lever that'll increase the oxygen and causes a container that has a flame in there to blow up with him inside. And the only way for him to pull the right lever is to take off the mask, and then that'll expose his identity. So I kind of like the prankster and the way he's uh, taking down his uh, enemies and how he has Dick trapped here. Uh, there wasn't too much on the Tony Zuko front in this issue. It's just that Zuko is aware that Nightwing is in town and that he's like he's after him. But uh, it didn't. They kind of played out to be someone who was worried because he says like the last time Nightwing came after me, I had to give up everything: my daughter, my name, my life. It's got me thinking: when was the last time Nightwing actually went after him? Did they have a previous encounter before? So that kind of took me by surprise, and I'm wondering what exactly that was. So we'll see if they explain that. But overall, I'm liking the stories of Dick in Chicago. I thought this issue was good. So I'm going to go ahead and give it three and a half out of five movies or Marvel movies that Dane will not see. So, yeah, Nightwing so far in Chicago has been a success for me. <laughs> cool. I'm glad they're doing that, like, detective stuff, kind of like um, uh, like in uh, the, the Sherlock Holmes movies and stuff like that. Uh, cause that, that's what I said that I criticized Snyder for of lacking in Batman right now. So yeah. And I like that kind of stuff. And then the other movie, uh, book, book that came out was, uh, Batwoman 20 and I didn't read it and you didn't read it. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> but we know I can, I'll review it for Dane cause we know how Dane feels about Batwoman. He hated it. He hates all things. Batwoman cannot stand Batwoman. Uh, everything about Batwoman Dane hates. So, uh, but, no, I, don't, no. I don't know why he wants to talk about it so much when he hates it. So, I know, yeah. he's yeah. Well, it's not so, like his favorite book, which is Catwoman, which he just goes on and on about how wonderful and a masterpiece of storytelling it is. Yeah, I mean, he even said he bought Catwoman this month. Yeah. He, he never <laughs> even mentioned Batwoman, so, yeah. Uh, so, I actually, we have, we'll let Dane review that next time. But as everyone knows, Dane loves Batwoman. Yeah. So. so, yeah, his review, five out of five. <laughs> yeah, five out of five, exactly. All right, so that was it for the comics, but I know there was another book you wanted to mention, Terrence. Yeah, I wanted to mention this and just let, let any of our listeners or listener plural or singular depending who's out there uh there's a book and i heard it mentioned on another podcast it's called billion dollar batman and uh it's it's their little quote it says a history of the cape crusader on film radio and television from 10 cent comic book to global icon 
And the author's name is Bruce, and I, I guess it's Scavalli, S-C-I-V-A-L-L-Y, Billion Dollar Batman. It is really good. I've read the first three chapters so far. Um, the first chapter deals all with um, how Batman was created and goes into Bob Kane and doesn't paint Bob Kane in the greatest light. You know, he 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 was a real like cutthroat businessman who who yep. kind of uh, you know um, gave some people the raw end of the deal and kind of uh, did some really interesting um, business moves. That might be a good topic for discussion one one day on the podcast of the early Batman and some of the things Bob Kane did. Um, um, yeah, you'll hear me. And frustration on that. <laughs> yeah, you could like it. And then the um, uh, second chapter was all about uh, Batman coming to um, uh, the uh, very first um, movie. Um, what are they called? Shoot, I'm blanking on it. The, the uh, serials. The serials. Yes, thank you. I couldn't. I'm thinking Star Wars was supposed to be like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The serials. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, this author goes into really, really detail and goes really in depth. Um, I believe the book is about 450 pages. Um, but, um, if anybody has the Kindle or you can get the Kindle app for free, uh, you can download the first chapter as a sample for free, which I would recommend. The Bob Kane chapter is awesome. And, and I'm not really sure why the, the book has a cover price of $29 and 99 cents. But on the Kindle, and hopefully the sale will still be going on if people hear about it, um, if you download it on the Kindle, it's on sale for $2.99. It's, it's 90% off. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so for $3 to get a 450-page book that, uh, you know, it's going to take me a while to read this whole thing. But, uh, you know, so far it's really good. And he goes really in-depth and really detailed. It's really researched. Everything is, um, you know, um, uh, cited in the back and I mean it, it, it's really good and uh, any Batman fan I think would really really enjoy that uh, the first chapter on how Batman was created and how much other people like Dick Sprang um, uh, played a huge part in Batman and uh, some of the things Bob Kane did uh, so yeah I just wanted to mention that yeah I have heard of that book and I know there's a lot of Bat books that I want to get that are like that but yeah it did sound interesting and I know I've read a lot of stuff on Bob Kane and the Bill Finger and like uh, all the other creative people who were there at the beginning. Where it's like, out of all of them, Bob Kane really had the least amount of input as far as what we know and love about Batman. And but yet, because he was a smart businessman though, as far as getting, I guess, the agreements or whatever for him to the credit for only have him as the creator of Batman. So yeah, I'm sure that part's definitely interesting to read. But just the whole aspect of, like you said. From beginning to where it is now, it's a billion-dollar movie. I'm sure it's a great read. Yeah, you know, like, I guess what Bob Kane did was he, um, you know, like, he hired those people himself on his yeah. own. And they didn't go through DC, which at the time was called National Comics. So he was able to keep it kind of quiet and keep it a secret that there were other people involved in it. And then um, I guess uh, Jerry Siegel, uh, Siegel and Schuster, the creators of Superman, were, were getting ready to sue national which became dc comics over the rights for the the characters uh and they asked bob kane to be part of the lawsuit which would have really really helped them but instead bob kane went and warned dc that they were getting ready to sue but then he he, what he did was he lied about his age he said that when he had actually created batman he lied about his age and that he was really a minor when he created Batman. So therefore the entire contract was void and that his parents were willing to testify in court that he was a minor. 
and and so then he cut his own private deal with DC, which was re- a really really good deal. Um, and apparently there's you know, a scene of him, you know, um, toasting someone else in a bar, saying like, "Well, it's going to be a cold winter for Siegel and Schuster, but hey, I'm not cold." Kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, and what I like though too is the author um, uses like Bob Kane's own autobiography to cite a lot of this stuff and talks about how his own autobiography and his own inter- interviews you know, contradict themselves a lot. So it's it's not just like mudslinging on Bob Kane. He's actually saying like, well, in here, Bob Kane said he created Batman on his own, but then here he said Dick Sprang. And and I guess a lot of um, what Bob Kane came out with early on in the 60s and all that, he was a lot of, it's me, it's me, it's me. Then as he got older and Dick Sprang passed away, he I mean, started... Bill Finger, right? Uh, Bill Finger, that's right. I'm sorry. Uh, Bill Finger... Um, uh, he uh he started to give more credit to to those people later on in life uh so but uh yeah no it's it's definitely uh something you know any batman fan would would enjoy yeah there's another book that's called uh, bill the boy wonder which kind of chronicle like, the story of bill finger and his involvement with batman and everything that happened to him was another one i want to check out but yeah i just find that all that early history of batman the created the creation of the character so fascinating and interesting at the same time, it's a little upsetting, too, that the creators like Bill Finger and even like Jerry Robinson for the Joker and Robin, I know he had, I believe he had a hand in. It was like they just get unrecognized by the general audience. and Everyone just knows it's Bob Kane, but only like the hardcore Batman like comic community people would kind of know the true creators of the character. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. Definitely some I, I know I want to check out, <laughs> hopefully soon. Yeah, and hopefully the, the price will stay that way because the price is right for $2.90. I, I wonder, too, I don't, I don't know much about the author, but he might be a good guy. Maybe we could get him on the podcast one time because he obviously likes Batman. So. Yeah. <laughs> I know the book isn't that recent, but it's not that old yet. Do you remember when it actually came out? Um, I could find out for you. Give me 10 seconds. Let's I want to say something like maybe a year ago or two years ago. It's like not that long. I just, uh, I'm just wondering if it... Like uh, has like the Dark Knight Rises in there as far as six, when it gets involved with the successful movies on there. Uh, those it says copyright 2011. Okay. So it comes out the the last um, chapter is all about the Dark Knight. Okay. And so who knows? Maybe maybe that's why it's so cheap. Maybe they're coming out with a new updated version that'll have the Dark Knight Rises in it. But um, yeah, the last chapter is on the Dark Knight. Yeah, I think they can wait just one more year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Cool. So looks like that'll wrap up episode number thirty of the Pat Fans Podcast. So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for Cross for uh, joining us on this episode. It was a great discussion on the DC Universe movies. We'll see if anything we say plays out. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can check out our host site on the Batman Universe at thebatmanuniverse.net. Also on Facebook at facebook.com/thebatmanuniverse. And on Twitter at thebatmanuniverse. And um, you can find all of us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at timg311 and you can find terrence at iod1974 dane at dane says banana and then also uh, you can follow cross on twitter at at josh and cross and uh also you can leave us a review on itunes those are always much appreciated and if you have any questions comments feedback any topics you would like to hear us discuss you can always email us at batfans27 at gmail.com so that'll wrap everything up Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. All right. Hey, I was impressed with how quick you got that Star Wars question. Yeah. <laughs> so, because that, yeah, that was my first question I was going to ask you. Did you see the 
Star Wars Christmas special. And then after I was like tooling around, I didn't realize Boba Fett, that's when he made his first appearance. So I was like, ah, now I got two questions. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> People yeah. try and tell me I'm alone. Have you actually seen the animated, the Boba Fett one? No, I've actually not done it. Don't think I'm alone when I'm with you. People want to act like I'm the only soul who's ever had a problem You always help me solve them I guess all that I'm saying Is you're my sweet song player you're amazing And when it's getting late And I'm so tired Hey, I can rest assured you lay me down People wanna act like I'm the only soul Yeah.